Hello and welcome to The Henna Hundel Show. I'm your host, Henna Hundel, and The Henna Hundel Show is a syndicated program. Here on The Henna Hundel Show, we feature the world's foremost experts for groundbreaking discussion within their respective fields, spanning medicine, science, technology, business, politics, policy, law, and more. Join me, your host, Henna Hundel, on a mission to unpack and understand how contemporary high-impact issues are being tackled by the world's most influential leaders. For today's episode, I'm happy to bring you an installment in our 2020 U.S. presidential series, as we have an interview with Democratic candidate Andrew Yang. Mr. Yang is an entrepreneur known for being the founder and former CEO of the nonprofit Venture for America. Mr. Yang is a former corporate attorney who has collected numerous accolades, including the Obama White House recognizing him as a champion of change and a presidential ambassador for global entrepreneurship. In 2018, Mr. Yang published the book, The War on Normal People, The Truth About America's Disappearing Jobs and Why Universal Basic Income is Our Future. Universal basic income is one of the central tenets of Mr. Yang's campaign, which utilizes the slogan, Humanity First. Please join me now in welcoming to the program, Andrew Yang. So, Mr. Yang, I know one of the platforms of your presidential bid is UBI, or Universal Basic Income, which, according to your website, means that, quote, every U.S. citizen over the age of 18 would receive $1,000 a month, regardless of income or employment status, free and clear. End quote. You've stood out from your field of Democratic contenders, even the progressives, for taking such a strong stance on UBI. Can you first walk us through how you arrived at your belief that UBI is required for the country at this juncture? And why make this one of your central policy proposals? Sure. So I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've worked in technology and business uh, and job creation for the last 20 years or so. And I've become convinced that the reason why Donald Trump is our president is that we automated away 4 million manufacturing jobs in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and the other swing states. Then my friends in Silicon Valley know that we're about to do the same thing to millions of Americans who work in retail, call centers, fast food, and most destructively, truck driving in the coming years. We need to evolve our economy and our society as fast as possible and transfer more value into more hands more broadly. And so that's why I believe that we need to have a universal basic income, what I call the freedom dividend of $1,000 per month per citizen as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And to the idea of every citizen over the age of 18 receiving $1,000 per month, many people from the right, but also some of your challengers from the left have retorted with, well, how do you pay for that? So how would you respond to that question? Well, the first thing is that our economy is up to a record $20 trillion, up $5 trillion in the last 12 years. And this is much more affordable than most would think, particularly because after you put $1,000 into someone's hands, that money goes right back into the economy on things like tutoring and food for their kids, car repairs, the occasional night out, health care, home repairs, and on and on. So that money goes into the consumer economy, it grows it by about 8%, creates about 2 million new jobs, and generates hundreds of billions in new revenue for the government. This is a trickle-up economy from our people and our families and our communities up. But the second thing is that we need to put our citizens in position to gain from all of the new advances in artificial intelligence, 
and autonomous vehicles and robotics and on and on. And the, the problem right now is that our income tax regime is really poor at harvesting those benefits for the American people. The biggest winners are going to be Amazon, Google, Facebook, and these mega tech companies who are great at not paying a lot of income tax. So we need to move to a value-added tax, which would then capture some of that value from Amazon transactions and Google searches and Facebook ads and self-driving truck miles and bring it back to the American people. A value-added tax at even half the European level, because our economy is so vast, would generate over $800 billion in new revenue, which combined with our current spending, economic growth, cost savings on things like incarceration and homelessness services and emergency room health care, and the value gains from having a stronger, better educated, healthier, and mentally healthier population would be enough to pay for a freedom dividend of $1,000 per adult. And so, relatedly, you have a book that was published in 2018 titled The War on Normal People, The Truth About America's Disappearing Jobs and Why Universal Basic Income is Our Future. Can you elaborate on how you classify the, quote, normal people? Does that refer specifically to blue-collar workers? Well, I go into it in my book, and what I mean by normal is the statistically average American. So right now, 32% of Americans graduate from a four-year university, 42% if you include associates and two-year degrees. 58% of Americans are high school graduates, which correlates to the most common jobs in the economy, which are administrative and clerical work, retail and sales, food service and food prep, truck driving and transportation, and manufacturing. These jobs pay between $14 and $15 an hour, and then the most numerous jobs in the economy. So if you were to take the normal American, the normal American is a high school graduate who makes around $15 an hour. And those are the jobs that we are set to automate at the highest levels, really uh, right now. Because if you look at it, 30% of American malls are closing in the next four years because so much commerce is going to Amazon. And being a retail clerk is the most common job in the economy. So that's what I meant by normal people, the average American. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you talk about the loss of jobs due to technological innovation and specifically due to automation, um, you also talk on your platform about artificial intelligence potentially being detrimental to jobs that currently employ millions of people. In fact, in a recent New York Times piece, you were quoted as saying, quote, all you need is self-driving cars to destabilize society. So just to be clear, you're not suggesting in any way that we need to implement measures to slow down the rate of technological innovation. Is that correct? Well, that is one of the things we want to avoid. We want people to be able to celebrate and enjoy technological progress. The reality is driving a truck is the most common job in 29 states in our country. There are three and a half million truckers, average age 49, 94% male, average education high school making $46,000 a year. So anyone thinks, who thinks that hundreds of thousands of truckers are just going to go home or get retrained as software programmers is not paying attention to reality or our history. So I would certainly not be someone who, who would say we need to ban autonomous vehicles, but I would say that it's going to be disastrous unless we accelerate very, very in preparing for what this transition is going to mean in real life for hundreds of thousands of American workers. Another one of your platforms is human-centered capitalism, 
which according to your website is described as, quote, a new form of capitalism that's geared toward maximizing human well-being and fulfillment. Do you believe that the system we currently have in the U.S. is not conducive towards individual fulfillment? And why is that? Well, if you look at right now, we're at record GDP in this country, and the stock market hit a record high just last year. But at the same time, our life expectancy has declined for the last three years because of a surge in suicide and drug overdoses. The labor force participation rate is down to 63%, the same levels as El Salvador and the Dominican Republic. And more than one in five prime working age American men has not worked in the last 12 months. So our economy right now is doing exactly what it's designed to do. The problem is that capital efficiency does not advantage more and more people. And the example we've been using, which is self-driving trucks will be great for the economy, but if you've Mm -hmm. been driving a truck for a living for the last decade, it -hmm. might not be good for you. So what we have to do is we have to start trying to design our economy so it actually helps us, the owners and shareholders of this society, instead of corporate profitability, which unfortunately will not include more and more Americans. And so speaking of corporate America, you predominantly have a background in business and entrepreneurship. You were a corporate lawyer, but as president, you would also be dealing with representing the United States on the world stage. So I'm curious if you can describe your relevant experience with foreign policy and how would you lead the United States on the world stage? America has gotten itself into trouble over the last number of years by deluding itself into thinking it was capable of things it is not. So my principles in terms of foreign policy would be restraint and judgment, where I would not commit American forces unless we had a very, very clear goal and a defined time frame, and it was in the vital national interest. When you ask what my experiences have been, I mean, my experiences have been similar to many other Americans where I've seen the mistakes we've made over the last number of years and would vow never to repeat them. And so another one of your policy proposals is to reduce mass incarceration. You've stated, quote, as president, I will overhaul the treatment of drug offenses and reduce our rates of incarceration over time. You know, progressives have been critical of some of your Democratic competitors in this race for having track records that suggest they might not be fully committed to making meaningful change on mass incarceration. So I'm curious, would you see this as being an issue you'd be willing to take up with the other candidates in a debate or other form of discussion if you feel really passionately about it? You know, I don't have uh, a strong interest in attacking other Democrats uh, on their past actions. I mean, I I would let other people just make their own judgments. Um, I will say that I am very committed to reducing mass incarceration because I see it as immoral. Um, And our application to many of our laws has been deeply racist. So I'm for the legalization of marijuana, but I'm also for the mass pardoning of people who are in jail for nonviolent, low-level drug offenses. Much of that behavior would be legal in certain parts of the country, and having people in jail for those actions uh, strikes me as something we can easily correct. And finally, I wanted to ask you about another central plank in your platform, which is holding pharmaceutical companies accountable. Can you describe what the main issue is as you see it with Big Pharma today and how you'd go about rectifying this as president? Well, the most extreme example is what happened with the opiate crisis, where Purdue Pharma issued tens of millions of prescriptions under the pretense that their 
flagship product, OxyContin, was a non-addictive wonder drug, then we are still dealing with the plague that they unleashed on the American people. They were fined approximately $500 million, but they made approximately $16 billion, uh, and they are now one of the richest families in the country. The Sackler family name is on buildings at Harvard and Yale. Every hour, eight Americans are dying of opiate overdoses every hour as their addiction has morphed into heroin addiction. So that is the most obvious extreme. And the fact that the Sackler family still has not been held accountable strikes me as uh, a deep failure of government. Now, pharmaceutical companies, unfortunately, right now, I mean, they do many great things. Um, but there are times when their market returns push them to promote drugs that may or may not serve their patient's interests in the way that they might be uh, advertised. And that's something that we have to hold pharmaceutical companies accountable for. We also have to hold them accountable for, um, for pushing excess uh, profits onto the American taxpayer in the sense that um, oftentimes they're providing their drugs at much lower costs uh, in other countries. And that's something that uh, should be something they can match for the American consumer. And that was an interview with 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang. I really valued today's conversation, and I hope you found it informative, too. You have been listening to The Hannah Hundle Show. I'm your host, Hannah Hundle, and I thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.